mercy. Aren't those just great words? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we are here this morning. Because of your grace and your love and your forgiveness and the fact that you have kissed a guilty world with your love. Father, as we turn now and we, we consider exactly what your forgiveness means and, and, and what that means for us, Lord, I, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that, that we would hear you speak. Father, I, I pray that, that you would use me to, to speak your word. Lord, that, that your word would go forth speak into our lives. Amen. I think I might have told you the story before. Um, last year of high school, I think, um, somehow, don't ask me how, I managed to convince my father to let me borrow his almost brand new car to take it on a missions trip down to Espens. Not clever. Um, I was trying to show off a little bit with my skill at driving and uh, got there, arrived at the church and backed into the church carport, put a big dent in my car. Oh, my father's car. Oh, I felt terrible. But you know, the strange thing is that when I got home, I was forgiven. It's not really strange. That's who my father is. This morning we're, we're looking at the forgiveness of our father and, and how that translates into our lives. Uh, we've come to the penultimate um, chapter in our journey that we've been taking the last few months looking at what it means to be children of the God of peace, what it means to be peacemakers in a world that is not at peace. And and, and this morning we're looking at, at what has to be my favourite, favourite uh, piece of scripture uh, in the whole of the Bible. This, this one just resonates through my head. It, it, it bounces around there. When I'm least expecting it, it pops back into my head. So, great piece of scripture. I guess it's one of the best known passages um, in the Bible. And you might be sitting there this morning thinking, oh no, not another sermon on the prodigal son. I've heard it all. I know the story. There's not much new that, that you're going to be able to drag out of that, Nick. Maybe you have heard it all, but, but even if you have, it's a story that we need to hear again. And I'd like to suggest that, that it is actually very easy to miss the mark, to miss the key, of, well, one of the key, if not the key point that Jesus is making through this parable that he tells us in Luke chapter 15. Um, I, I do think we get it, we, we miss the point. Even, even the chapter heading in your Bible, I think, misses the point. The NIV says um, the parable of the lost son. Most of us know about it as uh, the parable of the prodigal son. I looked it up in the dictionary um, yesterday and prodigal doesn't actually mean lost. Prodigal means lavish, extravagant. To be a prodigal person means that you, you splash out 
you, you just go mad. You spend up big. And yes, in, in the story that Reg read for us, the younger son is prodigal in, in the fact that he spends up big, but, but this parable is, is about more than the son's spending. Um, about a year ago, well, the start of this year, I, I picked up a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God. And I read it and it has changed the way that I look at the story. I mean, his point there is that it's not so much about a prodigal son, but about a prodigal God. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that, that God would have you and I be prodigal Christians. Sounds strange. Bear with me. Let, let's see if I can unpack that a little bit for you. Um, before we get to the actual parable, let's, let's just look at the beginning of the chapter, the first couple of verses. Um, verse 1, we're told that Jesus is spending a lot of time hanging around with, with tax collectors and, and sinners. And, and, and this, verse 2, is getting the, the chief, well, the, the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, they're getting a bit miffed at Jesus for doing this. They're saying, how dare this Jesus, this so-called holy man, this, this rabbi, how dare he hang out with the lowlife, the outcasts, the dregs of society, the people who, who don't deserve any attention from a holy man, don't deserve, I mean, why waste teaching on the rabble? I mean, he's having parties with these people who, oh, I mean, if you were to tick the boxes of what it means to be a good religious person, the people Jesus was hanging out with had no boxes ticked. They hadn't put in a lifetime of, of obeying God's laws. They didn't deserve to have the teacher spend time with them. The teacher should spend time with the good people, with the holy people, with the people who spend time doing all the right things. I mean, let, let's be fair. Uh, I think the, the fundamentalists of the days, the, the Pharisees and the, the teachers of the law, they, they weren't against people turning back to God and repenting of their ways. They, they were all for that. I mean, it's in the Jewish law. But but I think they were more for it in theory than in practice. I mean, you, you can come back, but you can become one of us. You need to grovel a bit first. You, you need to sort of do a bit of penance. You need to, to show how, how bad you've been and, and you need to know that you have been worse than us. We are the good people. Maybe in time you'll become one of us. And here is Jesus and he's just shortcutting all of that, short-circuiting their, their process. And, and he sits down and he says, let's have a meal, let me tell you, and by the way, if you want to be forgiven, I will forgive you straight away. Let's eat. And I think what we have to say is that, that, that the parables that Jesus tells in Luke 15 are told for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, we're not going to read through it, but, but he tells, before the story of, of the prodigal God, he tells the story of, of, of the sheep that is found 
And then he tells the story of the coin that is found and, and, and at the end of both stories there's a great party and a celebration and, and happiness and joy because what was lost has been found. And, and then we come here to the story in verse 11 of the prodigal father. And we know how it begins. Uh, once upon a time there was a father who had two sons. Once upon a time there was a father who had two sons who didn't really love him. I mean, we see that in verse 12. The, the youngest son goes to his dad and he says to him, look dad, I, I want my share of the estate. I mean, here is a bloke who looks to his father and sees him um, as a wallet. Sees him as a gateway to the good life. I mean, as far as this younger son is concerned, his dad is just holding him back, frustrating his plans for his life. His dad is in the way. Uh, he doesn't want to have to live according to, to his dad's lifestyle or, or his dad's timetable. He wants to get out there and, and see the world and be his own man. He wanted his dad dead. I mean, that, that's the thrust of verse 12. He goes to his father and he says, give me what I'd get if you were dead. I wish you were dead because I want my stuff now. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers here this morning. <laughs> and fathers, if, if your child, your son or your daughter came to you and said something like that. How would you react? I'm not a dad, but, but I imagine I wouldn't take it very well. Wouldn't your heart just crack and crumble and break into a thousand pieces? This child that you've loved and you've cared for and you've you, you've spent all your energy and, and your, your effort on and you've brought him up and then he turns to you and he says, get lost, old man. I wish you were dead. And really what, what Jesus is describing here in the younger son going to his father, uh, I, I think, is, is, is sin in a nutshell. I mean, isn't that sin is going to God and saying, God, I, I want my own way. I don't want you running my life. I want my own independence. I want my own freedom. I want my way. I wish you weren't around, God. And the really amazing thing about this story in verse 12 is that the father, I'm sure, hurting and, 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 and so broken in heart at the son saying that, the father doesn't get angry. The father doesn't say no. The father divides his property between his two sons. I mean, this, this really, really gets to me. I mean, it, we've got a glimpse here as to the character and person of, of God our Father. I mean, we, we see that, that, that God is a God who, who doesn't force himself on us. We see that, that, that God is a God who doesn't force us and say, you will be my obedient children. God is a God who... I think his heart shatters for every single person in the world who says to him, sod off. I mean, he made us, he loves us. Uh, uh, 2 Peter 3.9 
uh, Peter tells us that God does not wish for anyone to perish. He doesn't want it. And yet so great is His love for us, for His children, so great in the parable, the Father's love for His youngest son, that even when the son says, I wish you were dead, the father turns around and says, I'll provide for you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you what you'll need to survive. I'll divide my estate. I'll give you what you need. I mean, God makes the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Even when we tell God to leave us alone, God in His grace says, I will provide so that you can survive. Just as an aside, notice that, that the son is really saying to God, I wish you were dead, but, but we see in verse 24 that, that the result of that is, is that the son himself is effectively dead. Um, the, the very act of, of leaving home, of, of walking away from God, is, is, it's a funeral procession. It's, it, it's, it's leaving life and saying, well, I can make it on my own. Anyway, the, the son, verse 13, he, he takes the property, he sells it off to a stranger, he takes the cash, he, he goes as far away from his dad as he can to a distant land and, and not surprisingly as, as younger sons and, and older sons and all of us tend to do when he gets a bit of freedom for the first time in his life, he, he goes a bit mad and he spends up big and he parties hard and he, uh, according to the TV ads, he lives life to the max. He spends it all. until he's got nothing left and when he's got nothing left disaster upon disaster famine strikes the land the whole country's in short supply and the only job he can get is looking after a pig and making sure that they're okay I mean for a Jew it's got to be one of the worst jobs that you can get and, and he's sitting there watching these pigs and, and, and I think verse 17 this bloke is stubborn because it takes him a while sitting there watching the pigs, like, like David, Psalm 32. I, I, I suspect there's this, this streak of stubbornness that says, I will not go back home. But he's getting hungrier and he's got nothing. He's destitute and I suspect a growing guilt. Finally, verse 17, he comes to his senses. Finally, he comes to his senses. Besides, he's going to go back to his dad's property. He's going to say, look, Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just, just make me one of the day laborers. Give me, give me a day job every now and again, just so that I can survive. Because verse 17, this son realizes he was lost and he needed to go home. back off a bit. The, the father let his son go. Why? why? Why does God allow people to rebel against him? Why, why doesn't he just crush us and say you will be perfect? Is it maybe maybe like Maybe that like the younger son, we might come to our senses and, and that we'd want 
to go back home, that we'd want to be where God is. I mean, that we'd, that we'd get the sense of being lost. Um, Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 3, says that, that God has placed within us a, a sense of eternity, a, a sense that, that we don't belong away from God, that, 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 that we're not home, that, that there's got to be more to this life, that, that we're lost. And the younger son, he, he, he leaves his pigs, he's got no shoes on his feet, clothing is probably bedraggled and he makes his way home. Dad's provided for me in the past. Maybe, just, just maybe you'll throw me a bone. And his father, isn't this great? The father sees him, he's looking out and, and he sees his son from a distance and, and this father hoiks up his, his clothing and he runs out to meet his son. I mean, that, that'd be like the queen running down the centre of Piccadilly Avenue. This, this is unheard of stuff. The, the father running out and he grabs his son and he gives him this bear hug and and he starts just showering kisses of welcome. And, and you can, it's, it's a very comic scene. You can, you can see the father hugging him and the son going, uh, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. All the while the father is saying, Oh, welcome back, welcome back. He doesn't get a chance to even get to say, Make me a servant, make me a hired man. Because the father interrupts him and he sends off his servant and he says, Quickly go and fetch a, a cloak and a ring and, and some shoes and, and go and kill that fattened calf and the cow and we're going to have a really big party. I mean, this, this is what forgiveness looks like, isn't it? I mean, the son arrives in rags with nothing to his credit and he's accepted just like that. He isn't left like that. The, the father dresses him, but he's accepted like that. He's set free. Uh, apparently, back in that culture, if, if you walked around without shoes on, um, it was a sign that you were a slave. Here arrives the son, no shoes on, to all effects and purposes, a slave. And the father says, I'm giving you some sandals, mate. You're free. You're not a slave. You're my child. And this is how God forgave us. is how God longs to forgive his children. One of the books I read actually looking at chapter 15 stopped right there. Ignored the second half of the story. But really the second half of the story is where things get really interesting. And what about this older brother? He's been out, verse 25, in the field. He's been working hard, comes home, he hears that a party is going on, he, he finds a servant walking around somewhere, he says, what's going on, mate? The servant says, ah, oh, it's great, your brother's come back and your dad's killed the best animal and they're having a party in there. Look at his reaction of this older brother, verse 28. He says to us, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. that little twerp come home. He had his share. He had his share. Now he's come back and he wants more and he's getting more. And actually, 
Verse 12, Dad divided the property between us. And now this twerp of a brother is coming back and he's getting out of my share. And he certainly doesn't deserve it. I've got to be honest with you and tell you that sometimes I see something of myself in that older brother. Isn't it so easy to take offence at the grace and forgiveness that God shows to others? And isn't it so easy to refuse to forgive somebody who has hurt us, who has offended us, who we think doesn't deserve to be forgiven? I mean, why should we forgive them? They've behaved abominably. They need to pay the price of it. I mean, sure, they might be desperate now, but come on. They've lived the good life for a good while. They need to be desperate for a good while too. You might have heard the story of of Paul Cho. He's a Korean pastor. Um, His family, um, in fact, the whole of the Korean people, suffered some terrible atrocities at the hand of the Japanese um, army during the Second World War. Uh, Paul Cho pastored at this stage a a very large church in Korea and through a series of events he he felt God telling him, look mate, you've got to go to Japan and you've got to address a conference of a thousand pastors. And he got up and looked out at these Japanese pastors in front of him He said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I mean, that's the older brother. Standing, looking at at the younger brother who has come to God, who is beloved of the Father, and, and just can't take it. Feels hatred, anger towards this person. They are too bad to be forgiven. And Paul Cho, by, by the grace of God, was well, God spoke to him through his Japanese brethren, his brothers, and, 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 and amazingly by the end of that conference he was able to leave saying to the, the Japanese, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he, he changed from an older brother to be more like the father. But you know the brother in this parable, he just stands there, he he accuses the father of being unfair. He accuses the father of wasting good things on the waster. Accuses the father of being prodigal towards the, the runaway. You know, as, as I think of this older brother, even though he'd spent his whole life doing the right thing and working in the fields and, and, and hanging around the father's place, this older brother is just as mercenary as the younger brother. And deep down, I, I think both of these brothers, at least at the start, they wanted the stuff of the father more than they wanted the father. They wanted his things. Now, the older brother is just more sly about getting it. He says, I'll, I'll wait till he actually does 
pop off for push-ups and daisies, then I'll get my stuff. I mean, sure, he's been around his dad his whole life. He's been working hard. He's been keeping up appearances. But, but, but for all that, he, he didn't know his dad. didn't know his dad's character or his dad's heart. He, he, he didn't realize that the thing his father wanted above anything else was for the family to be whole, was for the, the son to come home. He didn't understand that, that his dad was the loving sort, the forgiving sort. I mean, this was, I mean, the clues that they were all there. This was a God, this was a father who was willing to provide for the son when the son said, I hate you. How much more would he provide when the son says, I'm back home? Forgive me. See, I don't think he realized it, but this older brother was just as lost as the younger brother. <laughs> Story, Jesus tells it, leaves us and, and he still hasn't come to his senses. The father asks him in, but, but he stands there lost on the doorstep of the father's house. Lost on the doorstep. I guess the Pharisees and the teachers of the law probably picked up that Jesus was actually telling the story to them and saying to them, you're lost. You're close, but you're lost. You don't know me. And Maybe some of us this morning get the same picture, the same message from Jesus' story. Because, you know, just just making the right sounds and doing the right things and being in the right places, we can still be lost. Because what matters isn't how how religious we are. What what matters isn't how many boxes we can tick off and say, "I'm, I'm, I'm doing that, I'm doing that, aren't I a good person? What matters is whether we know the Father. What matters is having a relationship with the Father and and knowing His character and knowing His heart and and having a heart like His and and being His child in the truest sense so that people can look at us and say, surely the apple doesn't fall far away from the tree. I mean, that is the Father's will for us, I believe, this morning. That, that, That we would be a community of people to forgive and restore and celebrate reconciliation because that is the sort of person that God is. That, that, that we would be like God, a forgiving people. And, and, and yes, it will cost us. It will cost us to be a forgiving people. Forgiveness is never free. Forgiveness never comes cheap. You forgive somebody, you pay a price. Uh, in the story that the family, when, when the youngest son was forgiven, they, they absorbed the cost of his wasting a third of the property value probably. They killed the best animal. There's a cost in itself. And for us, didn't God absorb the cost of our wandering onto himself? And, and wasn't there slaughtered not a, not a fattened calf, but the Holy One of Israel? God himself. But you might say, Nick, that, that's all well and good, but, but look, if I'm going to forgive somebody, I'm going to have to put some restrictions on it. 
I have to be sure that the person I forgive isn't going to turn around and do the same thing again. That's older brother talk. That's not what God does. He doesn't see his son in the distance run out and say, Ah, wait a second, are you going to do it again? God accepts us as we are, broken and messed up sinners. He doesn't insist that we get our act together before we come home. He, he does sort of work with us once we're home and, and, and dress our rags and, and cover our sins. But he just says, you're home and I forgive you. Let's celebrate. True forgiveness is about forgiving first and taking a risk and paying the price. We see a few weeks ago, Jesus said to his disciples, how many times should I forgive somebody? Seven times. Seven times. Seventy times, seven times. Just forgive again and again and again. We've been looking over the past uh, six or seven weeks at, at being peacemakers and And if we are to be peacemakers, we need to be forgivers. People who forgive prodigally. People who forgive extravagantly at at great cost to ourselves if necessary. People for whom seeing a family restored and united and and one and, and together in love in the Father and Jesus Christ, I mean, isn't that worth everything? You might not know it. Well, you do know it, I hope. But even though I'm the oldest uh, son in my family, I do have an older brother and you've got an older brother. But he's not like the older brother in the parable that Jesus tells. Our brother, when we left dad and told him to sod off, our brother came looking for us. He didn't stay at home and work the fields and be good. He, he said, my father's heart is that you would be saved so I'm going to come and rescue you. Uh, our brother came looking for us because his love for us matches the father's love for us. Uh, our brother came and he brought us back from the mess that we, that we walked ourselves into and he spent up big and, uh, and he knew that, that forgiveness wasn't cheap but he was willing to pay the ultimate price. I want to be like that older brother. Steve. 